Look, as the great Barbara Streisand once uh, wailed, um, memories light the corners of my mind, misty, water-coloured memories of the way we were. Um, I feel like flashbacks. They're, you know, you, you have flashbacks, deja vu or something like that. You're walking down the street and you remember something. Flashbacks can be good. Like when you see uh, a man that looks like Peter Beatty at a cafe, and it reminds you of all the good times you had complaining about the closing ceremony. You didn't even watch anyway. Um, but sometimes flashbacks are bad. You know, like when you're an animal act- animal rights activist and you're driving at twilight on a rural road and you accidentally hit a kangaroo. And you're giving the kangaroo mouth to mouth. and But it's literally split open. And you're trying to stuff the intestines back into the split open kangaroo. And you got your blouse covered in blood. And you, whenever you get into a car, you just have flashbacks. You go, I'm sorry, Scappy! It was Twilight! You're not a pest! You're not delicious on burgers! You're on our coat of arms! And you're my friend! And I hit you at Twilight on a rural road! Ah! Why couldn't it have been me? But sometimes, some flashbacks, some flashbacks mean nothing at all. A bit like the one I'm going to tell you about. Um, they come out of the, you know, they come out of the blue, you know? I feel like some flashbacks are like memories waving goodbye. You know, the, the brain only has so much storage facilities. It's not like a big canard storage there's only so much if you want to if you know all about soccer and then you go hang on I want to start learning all about tennis and I want to learn about rugby and I want to learn about ping pong there's only so much space in your mind for all that knowledge at some point with all that tennis knowledge and all that ping pong knowledge you you have to lose you, it's necessary that you have to lose a little bit of that that soccer knowledge it's not a bottomless pit in there guys you got to make sure you fill up your brain with the right memories. No bad memories. Um, anyway, so you, when, when a flashback that you like, it just it comes out of nowhere, you have to write it down. Otherwise, it's lost. If you think, oh, I'll remember that I had that flashback and I'll tell someone about it later. No, you won't. You'll forget. And you'll say things like, I remembered something, but I forgot it. I forgot what it was. But I remembered it. And then you get put in a lunatic asylum. And the public trustee will come and take all your stuff. Be ruined. You're going to be in a straitjacket. Just write it down. Just write down the flashback when it comes flashing back to you. And here's a great example. I was actually... Um, can we bring back that... Judy! Judy! Just have to talk to my producer for a moment. Judy, can we get that theme back on, please? Thank you, Judy. Thanks, Judy. Um, I was actually in the shower uh, the other day and I was sh- shampooing my nose hairs. And I had a flashback. I remembered that in college there was a guy that would always tell you where he was going. And most of the time why he was going there. But there'd often be a pause after where he'd tell you he was going. There'd be a pause and then he'd... As if an imaginary person had said, Why? Why are you going there? And then he'd say why he was going there. For example, he'd walk past my college room as I was sitting there in my chair just looking out a window and he'd say Harry I'm just going down to Hawkin Village 
bit hungry, thirsty. I'm gonna get some soy milk. Yeah, there'd just be that little pause in the middle. And and um, I'd be sitting in my room, and he'd walk past and go, Harry, I'm just going to uni. I got class at midday. And um, the funny thing is, people actually got annoyed at this. People actually got annoyed at this. I remember chilling out with some people, and they said, oh my God, that guy. What the hell? He always tells you where he's going. Um, and I realized... I realized something very, very important. People will always find something they don't like about you. They will always import their own bitterness, their own insecurities, their own prejudice onto their projection of who you are because the mind is a powerful thing. Um, it's not objective. And, and I actually think, objectively speaking, to tell everyone where you're going and why is a pretty polite and thoughtful thing to do. If there was ever a point where everyone in our college wing said, do you know where he is? And everyone said, no, he didn't say. We'd be very much more inclined to report him as a missing person. Thankfully, that never happened. He always, he quite literally always told us where he was going. And um, in fact, I know a lot of girls who'd love to have a boyfriend who tells them everything they do and why they're doing it and when they're going to, you know, where they're going, when they're going to be back, you know? I hear some girls that come up to me and they say, Harry, I don't know where my boyfriend goes, but he comes home at 4am smelling of perfume. Um, I say, look, have I, got a, have I got a guy from you? He was at college. I'll find him for you. And, um, you know, oh, maybe this is, uh, maybe he was the perfect boyfriend. Maybe even if he was, you know, having an affair, at least he'd be honest about it because he always tells you where he's going and why. Always with that pause in the middle, where an imaginary person would ask, "Why are you going there?" So maybe it'd be a Tuesday night, and you'd be sitting there watching TV, and he'd come back all dressed up, and he'd say, "I'm just going out to a bar. I'm meeting a girl from high school, who I'm still secretly madly in love with. I'll be back at 4 a.m." You know, maybe he would be the perfect boyfriend, and yet people would sit there. And they would say, they would bemoan. Can you believe that guy? He always tells us where he's going. Look, I'm not saying some people uh, haven't got flaws. I'm saying if you haven't got any, they'll find them. Hey, wake up. Huh? Why? It's 4am and time for a decanter of banter with Harry Raval Lee. But it's South East Queensland's most controversial 4 to 5 a.m. radio show. Get the f up! No, I've got my final med exam tomorrow. Come on, 4 a.m.'s the best part of the day! No! Ouch! What the hell? Wake the hell up! Stop up! <laughs> it's a decanter of banter! morning to those who are still awake good morning sleepyhead to those who just got up good morning sleepyhead 4am no matter which angle you come from yeah you're definitely sleepy it's everyone who is conscious right now is sleepy and a very warm 
good morning to you from all the cast here at a decanter of Banta. Um, I must apologise for my absence last week. I was struck with a bit of an illness. I thought it was curtains. I was lying there in bed, just praying to God. I said, God, please, let me defame George Calamaris one more time, live on air. Just give me that chance. And this is it. Um, we'll get to that in just a moment. No, yes. Actually, here's a secret leaked recording of me last Tuesday. Oh, Wiley. Oh. Um, well, given that it's been now two weeks, we haven't had a chance to catch up about St. Paddy's Day. St. Paddy's Day, guys. Um, Lord knows why we celebrate, why we, why we feel obliged to celebrate the national day of another country so vehemently. Why not Namibia Day? Why don't we celebrate Namibia Day? That's my question, you bunch of racists. Of course you don't want to celebrate Namibia Day. Maybe if Namibia had a national beer that tasted as good as Guinness, maybe we would celebrate. Um, but it's funny because this St. Paddy's Day, St. Paddy's Day 2018, was actually the two-year anniversary since St. Paddy's Day 2016. Uh, and uh, th- that was the, the year in which I said, look, so we had we had a share house at the time and everyone had a token. Um, I think mine was a bit of a cer- ceramic uh, uh, sculpture sort of thing. Uh, maybe it was, a, I think it was a ceramic giraffe. And then, and w- when you smash your token, that meant that uh, everyone else in the house had to go out and party. It was like your power play. And you, you only had one per uni semester. Um, and so I smashed mine on St. Paddy's Day. I think, I think it was a Thursday. It fell on a Thursday in 2016. And I said, we're all going out to O'Malley's. And everyone said, okay, we'll go out to O'Malley's on St. Paddy's Day. Ridiculous. And um, I said, let's all wear stupid shirts and wear silly ties. And um, they all said no. So I was the only one wearing a, a stupid shirt and a silly tie. And I've got to tell you, I looked like a f***ing idiot. And um, so we went out. And I was having a good time, having a bit of a jig, and a fellow came up to me, and he, and you know when an, an Irish person is angry, um, he just you just quite can't quite take them seriously. Uh, we were walking down the street just the other day. We saw, I think, I think it literally, quite literally was St Paddy's Day on last Saturday, and um, there was an, an, an Irish couple having a bit of a domestic on a street corner, and it was just hilarious. I'm sure it was very serious for them. I'm sure they they probably got two young children who they're maybe struggling to get through preschool with the you know exorbitant fees and there they were on a street corner having a big argument and oh, I just could not stop laughing um anyway but um so uh this this fellow comes up to me and uh, he says here don't you know my friend my friend is an arab you know and and I said okay uh, your friend's an, an an arab that's all right and he said yes yeah, she's an arab and she's offended she's she's upset now and and um and I said why and I said why is she upset and said you've been going round you've been going round uh, yelling Allah Akbar and I said what sir no I have not been going round yelling Allah Akbar and uh, he said yes you have and I said no I haven't and he said and he says well she said you did and, and um eventually this this lady uh this this lady comes over and then she says that's him that's him that's the one who said it and she's about as white as Nicole Kidman's backside 
and she's like, well, she can still be an Arab, um, as as the man says. But and I said, look, I said, look, lady, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not going around yelling at Allah Akbar. And uh, she said, you said Allah Akbar. And I said, no, I did not. And she said, yes, you did. I said, no, I didn't. And um, eventually, she started sobbing so vehemently, like a like a close family member died while she was watching the conclusion of the film Dear John. And and uh, they they left. And and the fellow didn't quite know what to do because he he kind of believed me, but it was also his his must have been his girlfriend or something who was very very upset. So he just sort of walked away while giving me the rude finger the entire time until they'd left. And I said that was just bizarre. Been accused of going around yelling Allah Akbar, and now this girl who is an 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 Arab is has become upset and and started crying and and has left on St Paddy's Day, and um. I'm having a bit of a jig again, and there is this uh, fat, bearded bloke in a sweat-soaked T-shirt on the dance floor, yelling "Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar!" And I said to myself, "I need to start going to the gym." Um, anyway, a bit of a uh, special episode today. This is uh, the beginning of Sean Paul Tuesdays. That's right. It's nothing but Sean Paul all day. Every Tuesday, uh, till the early morn, uh, as they say, uh, let's get it on. Um, shake that thing, miss. Can I, can I shake that thing, miss? Yeah, we're going to, you know, we'll get to that in a moment, but a lot of Sean Paul coming up today. And just remember, guys, moving forward, uh, shake that thing. No, 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 shake that thing. Um, yeah, so we'll get, we'll get to Sean Paul in a moment for now. Now, I'm gonna tell you a little ditty. Um, Myself and and my girl friend, um, my missus, we were uh, sitting around on Saturday. We were hungry, and what do couples do all the time? They eat out. So we went up to. Um, <clears throat> oh, you, well, you eat out, and you talk about other couples' problems. You talk about other couples with other problems, and um, and we went to Lebanese and Red Hill, and uh, there's a place called No Nos, and. It, it really should be called yes, yes, yes. Um, it's actually a very, it, it's a very old Lebanese shop. Been there since time immemorial. It's actually mentioned in the famous um, uh, book uh, Zigzag Street, which um, is the only best-selling novel based in Red Hill, Brisbane. And um, it's actually got a mural just across the road from Zigzag Street in Red Hill. There's actually a mural dedicated to Zigzag Street. But here is a conspiracy theory. That I haven't yet canvassed at the the latest Nick Earls fan club meeting, but uh, Zig Zigzag Street the book has a space between Zig and Zag. Zigzag Street in reality in Brisbane no space, and I when I read Zigzag Street I read the last chapter on Zigzag Street. I, I wanted to have very ex, you know experiential um, time with the last chapter. And in the book, it says he, he lives at number 34. But in reality, down there at Zigzag Street, it goes 32 and then 36. So that's one, a quirky little thing. There is actually no 34 Zigzag Street. And technically speaking, if we are going to get very legalistic here, they're not actually the same thing because there is indeed no space between Zig and Zag. So just something to get the brain ticking over this morning. Um, but anyway, uh, it, what we have... 
in at No Nose and Red Hill. They haven't paid for this advertisement. I'm just this is coming from the heart, guys. But there's a delicious organic uh, marinated sheesh kebab, and you get some vine leaves on the side. And I've been there a few times, and I've told my girlfriend, but this is the first time I've taken her, her with me, and she said, "Look, when you said all those times, um, when we went, when I wanted to catch up, and you said, oh, no, I'm getting a kebab.'" in Red Hill, I pictured something uh, very different, you know, something akin to what you find in Brunswick Mall. And um, and I said, and I thought to myself, you know what, kebabs, kebabs really are just like sex, you know. At their worst, kebabs can be traumatizing. You might not want to have another kebab for 10 years after a bad one. Um, kebabs really are just like sex. Some people um, some people with really low standards might have a kebab after every night out, and they don't care where the kebab comes from. Um, uh, but but kebabs are also like sex in the sense that, at their best, a kebab can be the most beautiful thing um, when lovingly made with care and attention. And that's what the kebabs are like at No Nos in Red Hill. Um, delicious sheesh kebab, very flavoursome, marinated uh, succulent beef. Um, Anyway, so I was sitting there um, with my lady friend and I was obviously very lost in her eyes and I was staring into her eyes and I I saw a vision of myself and her at age 90, uh, cuddling. We're incontinent. We're weeing our pants and cuddling. And I lost all sense of time and place as I stared into my girlfriend's eyes. And, um... I did what could only be described as, well, I farted. Um, one could say I farted, and I um, naturally I started laughing quite hysterically um, because I'm 25 and farts really are hilarious. And and you know if I am found guilty of farting, if someone says you farted and they know the truth, I'd like to, I'd like them to think that I farted deliberately rather than being like a 70 year old who can't control their their bowels, you know, nonchalantly letting rip to a fart that could drown out a stirring rendition of Last Post on the Boogle, all the while, you know, obliviously reading a newspaper in the middle of Coffee Club. No, that's not what that's not the image I'm trying to pervade here. Um, so, um, I I farted, but there's more to it than that. See, uh, Musgrave Road, even on a Saturday afternoon, is a busy road. And there are a lot of cars passing. We're at the front, um, and um, what do you call? What do you call when you dine out the, outside? Um, yeah, we're, we're eating outside. We're eating out and eating outside. And um, she didn't know that I farted. If I didn't laugh like an idiot, um, I could have got gotten away with it completely. Um, and but here's where it gets complicated. See, just before I accidentally farted, having lost all sense of time and place as I stared into her eyes. I um, had said the word yarn. I was talking about having a yarn with someone. And, you know, um, if you're familiar with Aboriginal English, uh, it's the beautiful amalgamation of um, uh, First Nations dialect and, and, you know, English, the English language. So we say a number of words uh, in English that uh, actually are Aboriginal inflections of those words. So we say words like fella, mob, and, you know, brother. And um, on this occasion, I'd said the word yarn. And then I'd farted, you know, done a little, you know, just, just a cheeky, and um, and and then I started laughing. But and so, having just said the word yarn, then started laughing. She sort of stared at me strangely for a little while, and um, 
and, you know, and then I was, uh, so I say the word yarn, and then I'm rudely interrupted by my own uh, rogue bodily function, and she's bemused, and she says, I don't get it. Um, did you just say a racist joke about Aboriginals or something? And all of a sudden, like a choose-your-own-adventure novel, I now have the choice between my girlfriend believing whether I just farted in front of her or having told her a racist joke about Aboriginals. Um, and it, it, after what felt like three years, I thought, um, fart, fart or racist joke, fart or racist joke. Oh, oh, what's, oh, a fart, a fart's disgusting, but a racist joke, that's revolting, though, she'll leave me if it's racist, does she leave me if I fart, what if it smells, what if it smells bad? And I said, I made a racist joke. So we, that was a dilemma, and um, and it was the equal biggest dilemma of my life so far, my very short life so far. I'm at the age of 24, though hopefully there'll be some even bigger dilemmas to come. But um, I I I am reminded of a time in Copenhagen, and um, and if you know anything about Copenhagen, you'll know there are two things that spring to mind. Hmm. Um, Copenhagen has really, really attractive women, but it also has unisex bathrooms everywhere. Uh, blokes have to share the toilets with uh, women. Um, and the problem is the girls tend to take a, a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And by a little bit longer, I mean they take forever. And um, so I'm in a ping pong bar. It's like a bar, but there's ping pong tables. And so it makes it, yes, that's correct, dear listener, a ping pong bar. And... Um, there are only two toilets in this place, and um, and I've had quite a few Carlsbergs. I've had more than two Carlsbergs, and um, there's a bit of a line for the bathroom, as you can imagine, two toilets. Um, and uh, I was talking to a Danish girl in the line. She was very attractive, um, uh, and the the line was slowly moving forward, and it it began to become quite an issue. I needed to use a bathroom with some immediacy, but um, I was at least consoling myself with uh, some friendly di- uh, conversation with this really really attractive Danish girl. And then uh, uh, someone left one of the toilets when we came to the very front, and this Danish girl, I don't want to flatter myself too much, but she she sort of stepped aside and wanted to continue talking. Um, and you know, she obviously using the bathroom wasn't a complete priority. Maybe she was one of those people who was just nervously waiting for her friends to show up at the bar. So she thought, "I'll just wait in the toilet line before while I get here, so I don't look like I'm lonely." Um, but um, in in place of you know hardworking uh, toilet users like myself, and and I thought, "Oh God!" Um, but I need to use the toilet. Do I have to just stand here and talk to her? I mean, she's attractive. Maybe I want to. And and then I was, as I began to sweat profusely, and um, and it was sweat. Trust me, it was sweat. It wasn't running down my, my trouser leg yet. And um, a fellow taps me on the back of my shoulder and he says, excuse me, are you going to use that toilet? And I thought, oh, God. Oh, God. Um, I'm going to use the toilet. 
realize that this is a really attractive girl, but uh, I must I piss myself. I will literally read my trousers. Then she won't find me attractive at all. What's the point? Why do I even bother talking to her? I'm just going to wet my trousers. What if I just go to the toilet? I can talk to her afterwards. What she's gone. What if she just stays in the, in the toilet line with she gets to the next guy? I go to the toilet. I come back out, and this guy wants to go to the toilet now. He's talking to her. She's with my girl. And so I said, "Oh, don't worry, man. Uh, I don't need to go to the toilet. I'll be fine." On every page, the same line over and over again that read. No, but seriously though, um, he, he said, Kingsley taught me how to get girls. This is what my friend said. And I said, and he said, uh, he said, Kingsley said, I had to talk to three every day, no matter what. Even if I was just asking them, hey, do you know which way to Roman Street? Or you say, oh, pigtails are stupid, why are you wearing them? Um, he said, I had to talk to three per day. And I said, here's the golden rule. And I said, what's the golden rule, mate? And he says, look, if a lady asks you to help her carry her bags, like if she's carrying something heavy and she needs help, she asks you for help, you say, no! But if she's carrying bags and she looks like she's struggling, then you say, hey, would you like some help with those bags? This is what my friend says, because he says it's all psychological. This is what this Kingsley fellow had um, had told him, uh, that, you know, if... if if they ask you to carry the bags and you say yes and you get into a habit, all of a sudden, you know, uh, they adapt and they and they expect that and they become reliable in you carrying their things. Um, of course, there 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 are obviously exceptions. Um, you know, if 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 someone calls you on a cold, windy night in Beanley and they're stuck in Beanley, they they need a lift after missing the last train. Um, may, maybe you could uh, be, be be flexible there and maybe pick them up. But um, this is this is what my friend says. He says it so strongly. He stares at me with madness in his eyes. It's actually kind of we'll bring back the creepy music. Actually, he says, "Do not help them carry their bags," and um, you know, because they adapt to someone helping them carry the bags. You need to have that. You know, they need to be flattered and surprised every time you carry their bags. Apparently, this is what my friend said. I, I, I tend to disagree. I tend to disagree very strongly. My my girlfriend. Uh, we can turn off the creepy music now. My girlfriend's a very sweet person. Um, she 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 made me lunch. She's made me lunch from time to time. She hasn't made, she hasn't done it for a, a couple of weeks now. After this conversation, probably explains it. Um, I said, well, if you keep making me lunch, one day maybe. I'll get used to this and I'll say, uh, you know, where's my lunch? Or if my lunch is bad, I'll throw it across the room and say, you know, make better lunch. Um, and she said, actually, that's a very good point because um, uh, I had a, I, she had a very good friend who would make lunch for her boyfriend. And uh, one day she didn't. Uh, when the, one day he asked uh, for the first time, what's for lunch? So he became expectant. He had adapted, you know, and um, and well, she hasn't. Uh, I don't think she's maybe lunch since then, but I I've already adapted, so I just sit there sobbing on the floor in the fetal position, going, Happy Hungry! Happy Hungry! But as the famous uh, jazz trumpeter Louis Armstrong once said, you might know Louis Armstrong, he had that um, little ditty, What a Wonderful World. And uh, he said, You know, people came to me and they said, Louis, Oi, Armstrong, how can you say it's a wonderful world? And the Vietnam War was going on. And he and he quipped, It is a wonderful world. It just ain't wonderful what we're doing to it. And I say, stick to the jazz trumpet, Louie. What about tsunamis? Destructive bushfires? What about when you 
going for a swim near Cairns. You go, oh, man, this beautiful beach. I just want to dive straight into it. This is the most beautiful world. You dive straight into the, the Cairns beach and you get stung by a box jellyfish in your eye. Is that a wonderful world? No. Here's the thing. Life is about survival. We just learnt to survive real well. There was a point where we used to skin animals and use them as roofs in our houses. Now we have television. We, you know, we uh, we don't even eat meat anymore. You know, we, we just uh, sautéing vegetables on a saucepan as we watch television. You know, we're just surviving very well. There are no rights, only privileges. Um, so maybe, maybe you can be thankful. Maybe you can swing open the curtains this morning and... Um, let the street light in from the the street lights. It's a bit early for the for the natural light, but and and maybe you can say, "What a beautiful world!" Uh, and say, "Oh, there's a possum going through my rubbish again." Um, oh, bravo, bravo! Live in this studio this morning, Caetano Veloso there with Kukurukuku Paloma. Wow, I have absolutely no idea what he's singing about, but I did actually just Google the lyrics and it. That's actually pretty shocking. It's actually about why we should bring back the death penalty. He's actually singing so sweetly about how climate change isn't real. It's very, actually, inappropriate um, from Caetano Veloso there, from the film Habla con Asha. We, we, uh, we, we decided that we'd head back after the games. We thought, you know, Gold Coast is a lovely area, but perhaps we will go back to Brisbane after the, after the game. So we get on the train. It's a very efficient service. It's pretty, pr- pretty frequent. And um, yeah, my girlfriend rests her head on my shoulder, and it's going going quite well. We're a very comfortable train ride, and um, the train stops at Altandi, and the the voice of the driver says, "This is Altandi. Um, if this is your stop, yeah, get off here for Altandi." And uh, seven people got off, and the train then pulls away from the station, and the voice comes back on. It says, uh, "Next station, Altandi," and. Six people get off. Uh, I, my girlfriend's asleep. I sort of look up and I go, Did, "Didn't we just, didn't we just stop at Altandi?" And um, I'm a bit confused. And the, the train pulls away from the station again, and uh, the, the the man says, "This station, Altandi. Get off at this station if you need Altandi." And five people get on and and I say Monique Monique wake up and I, and I wake her from my and she says Harry what, what's up what's going on and I say oh my goodness we're stuck in the Altandi vortex the train has broken the speed of light and we've migrated into the fifth dimension and, and Monique says Harry what what is the fifth dimension and I simply say it's Altandi we um we, uh, I, I, I quickly recall a book that I found in the, in the dustiest section of the adults-only section of a second-hand bookstore on Margaret Street. Uh, and I remember reading that Altandi is actually a shithole. I mean, sorry, a black hole. Altandi is a black hole. And we had become stuck in the Altandi vortex black hole. I said, Monique, Monique, there's only one way out. I've read about this. You have to close your eyes and say Altandi three times. Quick, please. And we're holding hands. We close each other's eyes. And we, we say, Altandi, Altandi, Altandi. And we open, but nothing's changed. Um, suddenly, her shoes have uh, have become... Dis- they, they've disappeared. They've, dis- they've disintegrated. And her the Commonwealth Games program um, 
valued at $10, which she was holding in her hand, has now become a chocolate milk uh, from, picked up from the local service station. I say, oh, no, we, we've already been here too long in the Altandi Vortex. Um, if we don't leave, we'll be stuck in, in Altandi forever. I look down and I already had a tattoo of the name of one of my children that I'm not legally allowed to see except on every second Sunday with a supervisor. Then a man... Uh, then the train, it, it, it stopped at Altandi again. Next station, Altandi. And the, and the doors were beeping so loud that I almost felt my teeth cracking. I said, there's only one way to solve this. We need to get off the train, onto the platform. Um, when he says, why, isn't that crazy? I said, I don't know, it's our only option. So I step off and, and, and onto the platform. But there's no platform. I fall, I fall, I continue falling. And... And, uh, and until I see a figure, it's, it's Harold Holt. Hello, he said, uh, help, reaching out a hand. He said, I've been stuck in, Alt in the Altandi Vortex for 51 years. And I, and I tell him, Harold, how do we get out? And he says, Harry, it's Harold, Harry, just press the button. I say, Harold, Harold Holt, which button? He says, the button to open the door. Suddenly realized I had always wondered why the doors in the train always had those buttons. I wonder why they couldn't just open automatically like they do in every train in the rest of the world. And why some tourists from Sydney get stuck on the train for weeks because the doors won't open automatically. Even at Central Station. It all made sense. Trains don't just have buttons on the doors because Queensland Rail is to doing a good job and efficiently what Arsenal is to winning the Premier League. Incapable. I quickly... I, sh I shook Monique. I said, I've had a vision. We need to press the button. So we pressed the button. We held it down together. We closed our eyes. Altandi, Altandi, Altandi! And it had happened. We'd escaped the Altandi vortex. The terrain was moving. And the man came over the voice, and he said, Next station, Beanley. And then we stopped at Beanley, and a man came on and said, Give us your ing wallet, and give us that ing Commonwealth Games program, valued at $10. Now, speaking of the Commonwealth Games, if you ever tuned into the television coverage, you would have noticed quite a significant and quite an aggressive ad campaign for a certain cooking program. Um, now, I'm not sure why there were so many ads for this particular cooking program. Um, there must be a correlation between people who watch sports and people who like cooking shows where the people can't cook and just argue the whole time over petty things. Um, uh, because there are, there are a whole suite of people who uh, will be cooking dinner or eating dinner or just generally relaxing around the time of, uh, say, 6 to 8 p.m. at night. And the, what they, call, they refer to this time as prime time on television. And, well, it's not like America here, guys. we got probably three commercial channels that you'd say on free-to-air. Uh, so you got Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, all right? It's slim pickings of sorts, really. Um, uh, even in the age of Netflix, um, but you know, the, free to wear, all right. And um, so generally, it doesn't have to be good.
right? This program that's on uh, on it to win the ratings war. Your program doesn't have to be good. It just doesn't have to be as as the other two stations at that time of the day. Look, ABC is never going to be a com- any sort of competition, um, any sort of threat. I mean, that that, that Australian Story show. Um, they ran out of Australian stories a long time ago. They got they you know, they knocked off Ned Kelly, Kathy Freeman, and Don Bradman in week one, and went, "Oh, holy dooly, what do we do now?" Um, they, we we've pitched fifteen seasons of this stuff, and um, so now the last few times I've switched on to um, Australian Story, um, they really are just Australian stories, not great stories. They never said they were great stories. They never said great Australian stories. Um, entertaining greatest great Australian stories that deserve one hour to, to tell. Um, they're more of the old ones that we could knock off in two minutes or less if we just summarise this. But we'll give it. We'll stretch it out to an hour, and there's no commercial breaks, so um, you really get the whole picture. But they're generally just sad farmers these days. It's generally just sad farmers out there in the land, and and it's Australian story. And he'll say, "Oh, no rain, crops aren't growing." It's hard. It's hard. There's only one lady in town and she's bigger than me and she's got a deeper voice than me. And when I try to watch pornography out here, the NBN's so slow. I can't even make out who is the man and which is the horse. I mean, the other person. Um, so Australian Story is not a competition. But there are people going to be watching television anyway. So... I'm not sure if this show is actually any good, and I've got a sneaky suspicion it's not good at all. But it, it's, it, it, all these are saying, oh, this is the most controversial season of this particular cooking show yet. Very controversial. But I tell you what, I watched it, and I did not think it would be this controversial. Um, here, I'll give you a little sound bite, and I'll describe... There's a lot of sounds, and I'll describe actually what does happen... Um, and then we'll play it again. But this is this is a soundbite of um, just the the, the episode um, and the the, the the advertisement. The biggest scandal on television, guys. A little bit of respect is about to happen. <laughs> you think you're funny? Can't handle it now, big girl. Wow. Wow. Have respect. Shut up, Josh. Stay out of it. Don't let me come for you. Don't threaten me. You've got serious issues. Enough. This behaviour is unacceptable. You're excused from the table. Which team will be thrown out? Then it happens. The most explosive dinner parties in television history are about to erupt. Yeah, so you get the idea there. Now, let me just describe what happens here. Now... Uh, see, it, there's a couple of celebrity chefs on this show. You've got Paleo Pete and you've got Manu Fidel. And basically, Manu has showed up, um, you know, wearing n- nothing but an apron, right? And he starts giving everyone at the table nipple cripples. He's quite clearly um, inebriated. He's reeking of alcohol. People are saying, no, Manu, don't nipple cripple my wife, at least not at the dinner table. And the people are very taken aback. And Paleo Pete, he's sticking up for, for Manu because at the end of the day, Manu is a celebrity chef. Celebrity chefs run this country. Um, celebrity chefs are to Turnbull what the NRA is to Trump. You know, they they decide everything behind the scenes. And so Paleo Pete's like, show some respect. And um, and then you know Manu Fidel's wearing this apron, right? Nothing but an apron underneath, and it's got like breasts painted on it. And he thinks he's pretty funny. And so one girl pipes up and says, um, 
you, you think you're funny, uh, but you can't handle it now, big girl. Um, and everyone's a bit taken back. Oh, you can't say that to Manu Fidel. Like, this guy's so powerful. And, um, and yeah, so then everyone's like, wow, like, whoa. And, um, and, and like, how can I, how can I even report this? Like, he's a celebrity chef. Like, it'll never be investigated. And then this one character called Josh, um, he pipes up and and he and he's very brave and he's and he tells Manu have respect while while nip while Manu's nipple crippling him, and then um, and then and then oh the 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 lady says to Josh because she's so scared of Manu she says you know um, no shut up Josh you know stay out of it and and Manu's there going you know give me a kiss and Josh is like no like I want to save for someone special you know and um and. And Josh says, don't threaten me. He says, don't threaten me to Manu. And then one girl is like sitting there quietly in the corner the whole time. She's been just like waiting. Um, and But she finally snaps. And she says, she says to Manu, you got serious issues. And everyone is terrified. You're like, you do not tell Manu that he's got serious issues. And um, the room goes completely silent. You could hear a pastor strainer drop. And... Um, Manu, who is now like butt naked and he's just showing off the size of one of his used condoms and he's like, um, enough. Um, your behavior is unacceptable. Uh, you are excused from the table. And, um, and so Josh is actually thrown out of the competition and then it happens. George Columbaris is waiting out the front and he emerges from the shadows and he says to Josh, on the day of my daughter's dinner party, you know, you will cause this sort of fuss and you'll insult Manu. And then gives him one of his famous right hooks and the ambulance could not come sooner. It was just the most controversial dinner party. I'll just play it again just to re- recap. The biggest scandal on television. Guys, a little bit of respect. Is about yeah, show Manu respect. <laughs> you think you're funny? Can't handle it now, big girl? Oh, do not call Manu that. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Have respect. Shut yeah. up, Josh. Josh, so me- brave. He risked it all. Don't threaten me. Manu's threatening. You not just say that to Manu. This behavior is unacceptable. You're excused. Oh, God. But just be careful. Out the front. We'll be thrown out. George is out there. Then it happens. Oh. George Columbaris is waiting out the front for you. Yeah, he'll take care of you. Famous right hook. George Columbaris. Yeah. Uh, unbelievably controversial. Um, actually, too controversial. Uh, not prime time viewing. Anyway, we'll play another track, eh? Um, maybe something from the Lulu Rays, a lovely bunch of Sydney boys. Um, as I am at heart, spent the best 18 years of my life there. And my best, I mean the first 18 years of my life. Um, I'd say every year since 2009 has been better than the year before, with the exception of 2013 to a great extent. Anyway. This is Fade Away by the Lulu Rays. You're listening to 4 Triple Z and more importantly, a decanter of banter. Diana's Heart of Me there. I have a conspiracy theory. I reckon that song doesn't actually have any lyrics. I think they just make sounds with their mouth and turn up the reverb. It's a great it's a great idea to make songs if you can't write lyrics, just turn up the reverb and the echo and the vocals and then just go. Um um Another little ditty. Um, I was catching up with my friend uh, Harry Harry Baxter down in Sydney uh, a couple of weekends ago, and he was moving house at the time. And um, it was it was a bit. Of, you say moving house is exciting, 
but uh, this wasn't so exciting. He was actually moving from his apartment in Ultimo back to his parents' place in Parramatta. So um, um, that that's a, a bit about what goes down in Sydney. But you, you never move out officially. You, there's always that time in the back of your mind where you go, oh, at some point I might have to just go home to save some money to, to afford to move out again, maybe in two years. Um yeah, this this fellow came to help him move out, and by help I mean he was getting paid. So really, he was just uh, he was doing him a service, a paid service. And he said, "Have you got a girl?" And my mate says, "Oh yeah," and um, and he says, "Is she Aussie?" And he goes, "Ah, uh, yes, she's Aussie." And and this removalist says, "Well, that's a shame." And my mate says, "My mate Harry says, why?" And um, this fellow says, I'm on to my third now. She's Chinese and so caring. Uh, well, welcome back to A Decanter of Banter with Harry Revalby. This is, of course, South East Queensland's most controversial 4 to 5 a.m. radio show. Well, presumably, at least on Tuesdays. Um, a, a monster episode we've got coming up today. We've got a, an interview with uh, Booker Shade. Booker Shade, the, the German tech house a uh, little group duo, and um, I tell you what, it's it's quite a large uh, interview. It's about twenty minutes long. Um, it's, it's it's a family pack. This one, it's a family size interview. Uh, so if you if you hate Booker Shade and you hate interview and you hate interviews, you you're probably going to rather saw off your your little toe than listen to this. But um, of course, it is Sean Paul Tuesdays. We are playing Sean Paul all day. Every Tuesday. So without much further ado. But uh, we'll, I think we'll go straight into the interview. This is exclusive, of course, with 4ZZZ. I was sick last week, so um, that that gig at the Met, which he was also trying to promote, that's long gone. But about next time, maybe they'll be back out here in two years. And if you can just uh, maybe write down... Do me a favor and just write down, go to go see Booker Shade, and then it'll make the whole interview worth it. Anyway, without much further ado. Hello? Hello, Booker Shade. Hi there. Yes, this is Booker Shade. Hi there. Booker Shade. Yeah, didn't you want to call by uh, FaceTime or probably WhatsApp? Oh. Uh, because I think the way you're calling now is an international call. All right, I'll just press the... I'll press the uh, FaceTime button. Yeah. Have I got you, my man? Hey, what's this up? Is, okay, I put you right here. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so this is a radio station in Brisbane, am I right? Yes, this is community radio. It's even more exciting. You, you get the homeless wandering in. You never know what's going to happen. Fantastic. Good. And uh, tell me again, what's your name? My name is Harry Raval Lisa. Harry. All right. Good, good to meet and you. And are you Buka or are you Shade? No, <laughs> I'm Arno from Bukashed. Hi there. Arno, it's a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine, sir. Okay, um, so let's just say, hey, the tour went uh, really well. Yes. And uh, I'll in particular speak uh, about the shows which already happened, which were uh, Melbourne and, and Sydney and the Pitch Festival. And I can say the shows have all gone well. But, but uh, you know, I've, I've had things in the past where all of a sudden something happened. And then later on, they said, why Why would he say something? <laughs> you know, yes. like that. There was a fire. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, well, not too, <laughs> How did you say it went well? <laughs> Thank God, nothing too dramatic. Yeah. But, um, you know. But, yeah, sounds sounds very good. And, the, of course, the new album is called uh, uh, Cut the Strings. 
that's correct. Right, fantastic. And that's the the title track is the latest single. That's also the title track, and that's the single. That's um, but this time around, it's quite confusing. I know. That's we all never right. had this. We never had this before. We're but always new ways of confusing people. Hey, what about when Pink changed her name to uh, P exclamation mark N K? That was confusing. That's that was completely nuts. No one would ever do that. Yes. <laughs> Correction: Pink would. <laughs> I wonder if, if her, her sales were affected because I know that uh, in those days people were buying music on iTunes, right? And people had trouble finding her on iTunes. She's since changed it back, I believe. Ah, I see. Okay, good. Now we won't do things like that. Yes. <clears throat> right. Interview in three, two. Good morning, Arno from Boog. And um, so I said, I'll look, I'm, I'll go, I'm gonna go back to the dance floor. I'm gonna jig my blues away, and um, I'm having a bit of a jig again. And there is this uh, fat bid. Yeah, sounds sounds very good. And the, of course, the new album is called uh, uh, Cut the Strings. That's correct. Right. Fantastic. And that's the the title track is the latest single. That's also the title track, and that's the single. That's um, but this time around, it's quite confusing. I know. That's we all right. never had this. We never had this before. We're but always new ways of confusing people. Hey, what about when Pink changed her name to uh, P exclamation mark N K? That was confusing. That's that was completely nuts. No one would ever do that. Yes. <laughs> Correction: Pink would. <laughs> I wonder if, if her, her sales were affected because I know that uh, in those days people were buying music on iTunes, right? And people had trouble finding her on iTunes. She's since changed it back, I believe. Ah, I see. Okay, good. Now we won't do things like that. Yes. <clears throat> right. Interview in three, two. Good morning, Arno from Buka Shade. Welcome to a decanter of banter, Southeast Queensland's most controversial four to five AM radio show. Uh, let's get to the pleasantries. How do you do? Hi there, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Yes, it, it might sound as if we're uh, you know, Skyping from the other side of the world, but you are indeed in Brisbane. You just have a German accent. I happen to do so, yes. Uh, it comes with the fact that I'm German. I'm sorry about that. I do my very best. But, but my Australian accent is also not great, so let's just uh, pretend my English is like that. L- let's pretend it's the Jimmy Fallon show, and I'll ask a question like, let's hear your, your best Australian accent. What's my f- best German accent? The best Australian accent. You're doing a pretty oh, good job with the German accent. one. Best Aussie accent. I really can't tell. I'm very, very sorry. But I can speak uh, German very well when you want that. When you want that, we can speak the German. All right, all right. Well, repeat after me. I only got two bucks. Can I get a chicken out? Right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's always great fun to tour in Australia. That's for sure. We always have. Uh, you know, have a great time, and we have a lot of friends, so that's that's really really nice. Yes, um, you're working your way north. You started in Melbourne, you got to Sydney tonight. You're in Brisbane, and next you'll be up in uh, Cape Tribulation. Actually, I've been to Cairns before. Actually, I've been to Port Douglas, and I've been to uh, Cooktown. Before. Of course, like. you've been snorkeling, you sly devil, haven't you? Yeah, not for playing though. Yeah, yeah. it was a private <laughs> pleasure. But we'll actually we'll continue. We'll go to Auckland, New Zealand, and then we go to Adelaide uh, on the second half. Oh, awesome! I actually I saw you last time out. Do you remember? Well, actually, it might not be the last time out. Back in tw- in late twenty fifteen at, at the TBC Club. <laughs> But sometimes it's you know the only place where I will always recognize uh, that I that, that I'm there. That's uh, the Prince Band Room in Melbourne, because that's the place we probably played the most in the entire world, uh, played many 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 times, and it's all and it's always a great atmosphere there. But let's see how the mat goes. 
Right. Yes. Yeah, so let's see. Let's see how we go. We don't, we don't like talking about Melbourne up here. It's a little bit Catholics and uh, Protestants. Um, oh, is it? Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm very sorry. Let's talk about surfing. They, no, they like they like that. coffee and art down there. Up here, we like to fight people. <laughs> okay. Good. Yes. Right. No, but I was I was at that gig in, in late 2015, and there was a, a, a slight incident. I'm not sure if you recall. I mean, you're like a stripper in a Western Australian mining town. You're you're doing shows all the time. Um, but th- this one particular show, I have a friend called Ben Long, and he particularly enjoys country music, but he thought he'd come along just to savour the flavour of dance music. And um, he was he was actually giving you the rude finger. And so my friend Mitchell came out, came along, who loves dance music, and he said, Ben, cut it out, and they had a little squabble, and there I was saying, use a mate, use a mate. Um, what would you say to Ben, and what would you say to Mitch? Uh, well... If we can play a country song for him, perhaps, if it makes him feel better. Uh, if he comes to the wrong place and has to listen to dance music and techno and tech house, that's what we do. Uh, probably we can play a tech house version of one of his favorite songs. But do you ever do requests? Do people ever go up to the G- DJ booth? I know you probably hear things like, oh, my God, how do you do it? I mean, how do you mix it? But how, um, do, you ever, do you ever get requests to play country music? Thank God we don't get requests and we can't take requests because we don't work as DJs. You know, we are, we're a life act. We play our own music um, and uh, and only our music. Uh, we keep changing the set lists, of course. Uh, like what I'm just doing right now uh, was uh, work on the set list for tonight because we try out something new. We got a remix in from a guy called Claude von Stroke. I don't know. Ah, yes. The whistle song. And, and he does, yeah, he did, he did a remix for one of the songs from the new album and we're very excited about it and we want to play it out tonight. So I was programming a couple of things. Um, so, uh, yeah, we only play our own songs. And, uh, yes. uh, but, of course, sometimes we see the mobile phones and then they have this cool thing where the, you know, where the name of the track runs over the display, the super duper thing that they have. Uh, so sometimes I would see requests and, uh, but, and the best thing is always when it's a request for a song we've just played, you yeah. don't <laughs> would believe how many times that happens. Like we play one of our big tunes in white rooms or so. And five minutes later, a phone comes up, say play in white rooms. Um, yeah, well, you're not but, listening. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a classroom oh, out there, I, isn't it? Um, so the, the takeaway here is that you only accept visual requests. Uh, visual means uh, when they lift their shirt or something. Oh. Oh, am I going the wrong way? Sexual assault is alive and well in the tech house industry. <laughs> no, it's uh, we get we get we get uh, harassed. Oh right. Yeah. I don't know what's in the minds of those people. We we only want to do our jobs. We we stand on a stage and we play our music. Do you have um? Obviously, we were all watching the Video Music Awards not too long ago, and we saw that Nicki Minaj had a bit of a feud on stage with Miley Cyrus. Do you have any feuds with ongoing feuds with any other musicians? Uh, uh, no, um, I don't see any of this stuff. And uh, but no, we're very nice people in Berlin, and you know the scene in Berlin, the techno scene. Uh, like uh, everybody knows each other, and um, and there's no such rival. You mean you're talking about rivalry and and things like that, and just uh, or for just for the sake of uh, having more having more social media um, traffic or, or what is that? I don't know really. Well, well, the old saying is uh, they can't beat you to number one in the charts yeah. if they're dead. Mm. 
Okay. Well, that's you know we're not in the charts and we don't. Do this Unless you're thing. Biggie Smalls. Remember he he was posthumously number one. What a champ! No, no, he was. Yeah, was he? Tupac. Mm. Tupac was. Oh, okay. Them them guys. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, enough about rap. It's just rhyming. Am I right? This rhyming. What your rap um, is uh, is um, probably not the most. Uh, professional one if i may say so it's all right it's all right it's it's not <laughs> it's not bullying if they're a celebrity um and so if if there was an up-and-coming uh you know producer artist who was making music and he was playing a gig at the same on the same street at the same night in the same city as you say his name was dj hernia right and he wore a mask that made him look like a like a hernia um i mean what why should someone come and see your shows as opposed to seeing an up-and-coming artist? Um, just because of the fact that he wears a mask. I, I, <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't uh, there are very little... Um, there's a very little number of artists I really respect who wear a mask, Daft Punk being some. That's right. Okay, good. But all the other masks, I don't know what they're for, and some are so ridiculous. So uh, come to see our show because we don't wear masks. We, we look great. Uh, we're handsome young, well, we're handsome men, not young men, but handsome men. Uh, and uh, we bring across a lot of energy with our instruments as a live act. And I yes. want to see those live acts who do this because there are not plenty who make the effort uh, nowadays because most of them just want to stand there with a USB stick, uh, you know, do as little as possible and be as famous as possible. And uh, a lot of uh, the I say ethos, like a lot of the, you know, the work that needs to be done in order to achieve a certain, not success, but achieve a certain, uh, let's say, expertise in something, to know what you're doing there. Uh, something many, uh, many kids, um, you know, are not uh, into. Uh, I, I get the feeling many times. We receive a lot of demos from people and uh, it's very hard i mean there's so much music out there nowadays but still the percentage of really great music is the same like it was you know 10 20 30 years ago or in the, you know in the 70s people say there are there weren't many bands so um you know it was more likely to be successful as a band but still you know it it um takes a lot um of of effort um to go a certain way and and to say all right i want to be a good musician Yes. Well, Germany has a very rich history of, of electronic music. You mentioned Kraftwerk before. I would argue that Kraftwerk uh, made uh, the universe's first ever drop in 1977 with uh, Trans Europe Express when the little mm. electronic drum kit comes in. Um, why do you think Germany is such a, a great breeding ground for the electronic artists of today? Uh, it's probably not only Germany. If you take, uh, for example, uh, Northern England uh, as well, a lot of really good acts came from Sheffield, Manchester, um, but many times industrial areas. And uh, what I read in many interviews was that um, uh, there, there's, for example, an, another band in Germany called Krupp, uh, which lived uh, in Essen, which is not very far away from Düsseldorf, where Kraftwerk come from. Um, and a, a, a lot of those musicians said, well, you know, we we, we were very bored uh, because we didn't have anything to do as kids. And also we lived in this industrial area where we would where we would hear the factories 
uh, at night and we would it would just be a very you know factory work driven um, environment and uh, this machines that they would hear many times uh, this would kind of you know continue in their heads and then they kind of try to put this into music um, so that's uh, at least one of those uh, one of those ideas. It's uh, probably it it's, it would be difficult to come up with a like machine driven repetitive groove if you live uh, in the Caribbean, for example. Yes. So so it's uh, there's probably a reason uh, why they make music uh, that sounds like coconuts dropping from the trees. Raggy, yeah, why why reggae isn't in particular a very you know repetitive electronic you know kind of marching groove, uh, but it's much more loose and much more easygoing, and it feels more like sunshine. Whereas uh, a, a groove from Sheffield or Manchester would be harsher and darker and uh, more industrial. Right, and that's why a lot of the music from Sydney sounds like uh, homeless people yelling at each other. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, you have the bay and everything, so that's yeah. probably the result. Now, um, do you mind if I uh, some uh, some fans have written in some uh, uh, fan mail? Do you mind if I ask uh, some questions from what they've mailed in? Uh, the first one here come comes from Terry from Balimba. He asks, "What can musicians do to stop Coney, and what are three things that Buka Shade are doing lately to stop Coney?" What's Cody? Coney. He's uh, he takes child slaves to make his uh, army in Uganda, and he hasn't been stopped. Coney. Coney. Coney, Arno. Mm, okay, I, pre- I better not comment on that because I'm not. Uh, I don't really know what you're talking about. Just say that through the power of music, uh, Bukashe is stopping Coney. Just something like that. All right, good. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> now you're playing a Brisbane. Uh, tonight, but obviously we won't say that. Um, we'll say because uh, it's Tuesday, right? Because you're calling me at four in the morning on Tuesday. How the gig uh, go on Friday? I, I heard that you, you you two self-exposed and you you did a surprise blues and roots set. Uh, yeah. So as I always say, then shows went well, <laughs> <laughs> and we had a lot of fun. As we discussed earlier, you, you you're very wary of not. Uh, giving you a review of shows before they happen in case it plays later on and th- there must there was a fire in the club and you, you, you're there on radio saying, yeah, the show was awesome. Crowd, yeah, were, crowd were lit. It's a, it's a really <laughs> bad <laughs> example. It's a really bad example. But uh, in essence, yeah, that's the, that's the direction, yeah. Yes. Um, so enough about the music. You got any plans for St. Paddy's Day on uh, tomorrow? St. Paddy's Day is, I think, in New Zealand, right? Uh, uh, in Auckland, yeah. Right. So I'm, Curious. I have, you know, as you can imagine, we have nothing to do with St. Paddy's Day, but I had, I heard um, terrifying things about people uh, going out on St. Paddy's Day. So let's see how that goes. Yes. Yeah, well, I hope you have the luck of the Irish tonight. Uh, Arno, um, enjoy yes. Brisbane, enjoy South Bank, get down there to the artificial beach. Thank and, you very much. And just to, to support the tourism, if you could just give a little tweet saying you're enjoying Brisbane. And encouraging all Germans to come and visit. And yes, we've done all that. Uh, visit Queensland, of course. Yes, thank you, Arno. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking. Yeah. Hey, thanks, okay. Arno. Have a good day, yeah. mate. See you Bye-bye. tonight. Bye bye. There he was, Bukashade. Well, Arno from Bukashade. Well, at least I, I claim that he is. Really, there's no visual evidence. I could have just grabbed any German guy off the street and said, um, 
talk about Tech House for a bit. It might just been very enthusiastic. Anyway, exclusive interview there. We are going up in the world, aren't we? Uh, 4 to 5 a.m. really is the new drive time, 5 till 6 p.m., getting all the big guests these days. Um, now, that was about 20 minutes, so uh, under the Community Radio Act of 1912, I simply must play a song now. And look, I know a lot of people say, hey, look, you interview a band, you have to play their music afterwards. I don't usually play dance music on this show. If, you, if you're a long-term fan, you'll probably know that you've only heard two, two or three dance songs over the years. So it's a big stretch to go all the way there. So I, I think it's at least, um, uh, you know, fair just to play any dance song. And I think this latest one, Cosmos Midnight featuring Winston Surf Shirt, um, gets no. It's just a ripper track and... Um, you know, it's not German. We're supporting Australian industry here, guys. So here is a bit of Cosmos Midnight. <laughs> 